When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. We've been away a little hiatus since the end of the season, but we are back. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk Kentucky football. We're going to talk with John Hale, my friend and colleague who covers UK football for Kentucky.com and the Herald Leader. We're going to kind of wrap up spring practice, which was finished a couple of weeks ago. And we're also going to talk about the NFL draft, specifically about Will Levis in the NFL draft going into the draft on Thursday night. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. My conversation with John Hale of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, I want to welcome into the podcast my friend and colleague, John Hale. How's it going, John? Good. How are you? I am good. Kentucky wrapped up spring practice now, I guess, what, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to you right after spring practice, so we're going to talk about spring practice, and we're going to get into Will Levis and the draft. Overall, how did you think <clears throat> spring practice went? Do you feel like Mark Stoops and company were, were pleased with how everything went? Uh, what, what was your take on that? I think they were mostly pleased, but it definitely felt like the biggest sense was just like relief at the end of it, that they got through it without any major injuries. Like, I mean, there was just so spring practice is weird in general because you don't have all your new players. There's always a handful of guys who are unavailable because they had offseason surgeries of some kind. And so Kentucky, I mean, they were really shorthanded. I mean, like they didn't have any of their tight ends that you think are going to play big roles in the fall available. So what is Liam Cohen's offense look like without those guys probably going to look very different in the fall. Uh, you had some important things, you know, getting Devin Leary adjusted to the new offense, you know, integrating some transfers at other positions, especially on defense where you, I think, have, what, seven new starters trying to break those guys in. But overall, I think the biggest questions about this team are still questions we're going to have until this summer and, and you know, early season. Well, you mentioned Liam Cohen and Liam Cohen's offense uh, back after one year when he went back to the Los Angeles Rams. Now he's back to Kentucky. What do you think? uh, I mean, I would think everything seemed to be positive about it, having him back and so forth. What was your sense of how the players, uh, especially the new players, took to the new offense? I mean, it, it seems like it's going to work. I mean, I, the most interesting part to me is how it's different versus 21 when Wondell Robinson was the first, second, and third option so many times out there. I mean, they did have Josh Ali for most of that season, who was, who was also a, a competent receiver who's been in an NFL camp. But I don't think they have a single guy like Wondell Robinson, obviously, now, but they're much deeper in terms of talent. So how does that work uh, with being able to spread the ball around a little more, especially when those tight ends are healthy? It seems like that's a real strength of Devin Leary's. Uh, So I'm interested to see how Liam takes advantage of that. But on the same, you know, note, those wide receivers are all still really young. I mean, nobody wanted to say anything bad about Barry on Brown or Dane Key or even a guy like Deion Walker on defense last year because they needed to convince those guys to stick around and not go to some traditional power in the portal and you had to set up all these NIL deals. But the the true 
assessment of their freshman season is promise with a lot of room to grow. Still, there was a lot of work those guys still need to do. And we started to hear some of that this spring. I thought was interesting about those receivers need to get stronger. They need to work on their routes. They need to do some other things to hold up in the SEC. And how well they do that is going to say a lot about the weapons that Devin Leary is able to throw to. And speaking, okay, speaking of Devin Leary, uh, the transfer from North Carolina State, he came in here. I think it was a big plus that he was able to go through spring drills because yeah. there was some talk with him coming off an injury last year at North Carolina State, whether he would be able to do that. Uh, how did you think when the couple of open practices that we got to see, I wasn't there for the first one, but was there for the second one. You were there for both. What, how, what did he look like to you, and how do you feel like he so far <clears throat> has adapted to the new offense? He's impressive. I mean, I think in terms of his adapting the offense, Liam Cohen brought it up a couple times that they didn't run a lot of play action from under center at NC State. So that's something he's going to have to get used to, just turning his back to the defense. And then, you know, where your receivers might not be where you expect them to be when you turn back around with the ball. So that's something we'll see how he progresses. But I think there's definitely an argument to be made that he, he's nowhere near the NFL draft prospect that Will Levis is, obviously. But I think he might be a better college quarterback when he's healthy based on what he did in 21, his last healthy season. What, 35 touchdowns, five interceptions at NC State? Different offense. But we know he can get guys the ball. He threw into some really tight windows, some great throws in both practices we saw. The thing we can't really gauge, obviously, is they don't let you hit the quarterback in practice. So is the pass protection fixed? Is the offensive line better? How's that going to work? Because if he's taking a bunch of hits, the one negative I will say about Devin Leary is he's really small. When you see him out there on the field, you stand next to him, he does not look like an SEC quarterback. I don't think he would have picked him out of the lineup. And we know he's battled injuries before. He had a torn pectoral muscle that I think cost him half a season last year. He broke his leg three years ago that cost him four or five games. Um, he's kind of, their season depends on how healthy he's able to stay. Like if he gets hurt and has to miss any significant time, they're in real trouble because those backup quarterbacks are not ready yet. I think they would take a backup quarterback in the portal this summer if they could find the right guy, but it's going to be really difficult to find somebody who's a definite upgrade over Kaya Sharon and Destin Wade, who's willing to come here knowing that Devin Leary's the starter. So it's, it's a hard spot to be in. And right now, they're just a spot where, um, you know, they're really dependent on Devin Leary staying healthy. Okay, speaking of the offensive line, obviously a big question mark coming off of last season. They just took another uh, transfer from uh, USC offensive tackle. Well, how did you think that they sized up during the spring, moving guys around? And what about this new guy coming in? I feel like they think they found some answers on the line this spring. They're really pleased, it seems like, with Marcus Cox, the transfer they brought in from Northern Illinois at left tackle. He seems like a definite upgrade. And adding him lets you shuffle um, Kenneth Horsey back to his natural left guard position. We know he's a good guard. He was banged up some this spring, so we didn't really see him in the open scrimmage we watched. Uh, but you feel good about that position. And then the big news of the spring, maybe at any position, was moving Jagger Burton to center and Eli Cox back to right guard. It was interesting early in spring, the way they talked about that was kind of just like, we're testing it out. We'll see how it goes. If it doesn't work, we'll just flip them back. And then by that last week or two of spring practice, it was, oh, yeah, this is definitely how we're moving ahead. Jagger Burton is our center. He's made enough progress with the snaps and the calls and all those things that this is what we're going to do. He's more athletic than Eli Cox, and Eli Cox, we know, had a really good season at guard in 21 when Liam Cohen was here before. He's kind of that road grader, run blocker in the SEC. So if those moves work out, 
you feel good about four of the five spots and then right tackle is just a huge question so that's why you go out and add Cortland Ford from Southern Cal as a transfer he's played quite a bit there I think he started 12 games over three years most of that at left tackle but you know he would be at right tackle for them uh, they've signed guys in the past who were transfers just based on their high school recruiting rankings who haven't panned out. I think the fact that he's played as much as he did at Southern Cal makes you feel better that he will be a productive player. I don't think it's 100% certain he comes in and starts in the fall, but he's the odds-on favorite now. Maybe Jeremy Flax has a big summer. Maybe David Wallabar, DeAndre Buford, or even a young guy like Nicole who was not available this spring makes a big leap to make that a competition. But if you're guessing today, I think uh, you assume he's going to be your starting right tackle. And then it's a question of can those other guys play well enough to get some depth that they just haven't had the last few years. Yeah, that was my next question about depth. How do you think they feel about their depth? I know they brought up Tanner Bowles of Kentucky and in from Alabama, uh, who was a reserve there. Sounds like he's going to be kind of in a reserve or a swing guy here. Is that right? Yeah, I think he's going to play in those both guards, but he'd probably be your third guard back up at both positions there, uh, which is an important spot. I'm sure he'll play plenty. They actually played him at tight end some the spring just because they were so short on tight ends when they needed to run the ball. They put him out there just to do some different things. So that is a valuable player to have. Uh, I was told they would add, an, you know, they're interested in adding another offensive lineman in the portal this really? in the spring window, but just basically best available. It wouldn't necessarily be a tackle, but they weren't. They also weren't certain that there would be a guy out there who was, uh, you know, good enough to fill that role, and and they would be able to land. They've offered a, um, the kid from Wyoming, who everyone every big school is offered right now. So I'm not sure they're going to be able to get him. But that tells you that they know they need to add some guys. When we talked to Zach Yenzer right at the end of spring practice, the word he kept using was competition. and He didn't think there was enough competition last year. So they want to add as many usable pieces as they need to so guys are pushed and you're not just throwing guys out there because you don't have any other option. I think that was one of the big problems, especially at you know right tackle last year and, and even left tackle an extent because you had to play Kenneth Horsey there out of position. They just didn't have any better options, so you just had to do what you did. But if you have more usable pieces who can compete, you hope the overall play is you know raised to a level that it, it works. Right. Uh, lose Chris Rodriguez at running back, but uh, picked up Ray Davis from Vanderbilt. It seems like a plug-and-play there with a guy who rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. Uh, what about that position? That's another one that's interesting because I think Ray Davis is definitely a good player. Kentucky fans probably want to block out that Vanderbilt game last year, but he, he torched them to an extent. Um, I think it's going to be closer to that bridge year between Benny Snell and Chris Rodriguez where we saw A.J. Rose and Kavasi Smoke and Chris Rodriguez as a redshirt freshman or whatever kind of split carries with one guy. I mean, I think A.J. I, I, w- I would guess Ray Davis gets, I don't know, 60 to 70 percent of the carries this year but Jatai McClain's going to play an important role if uh the uh, his name escapes me now but the Ramon Jefferson the transfer from Sam Houston who got hurt on the very first drive last year if he's healthy I think he'll play a role and then the guy we don't know about is Jamarion Wilcox the freshman they signed in February uh he's going to have every chance I think to come out and earn a spot in the rotation this this year and so those guys I I think it could be kind of a three-headed rotation with somebody there but it also goes back to the offensive line play. I know you wrote about this late in spring practice. Jeremy Flax came out and talked to us one day and, and was pretty frank about, you know, the run block is just not good enough right now. Um, obviously, not having those tight ends affected that this spring. 
but they're going to need to figure out a way to impose that physicality. That was Mark Stoops' number one theme, you know, really since the post-game press conference of the Music City Bowl, but getting back to who they are, fixing the things that just weren't right last year. And so much of that for him is about being physical and, and proving that you can impose your will up front. Okay, let's talk about the defense. We, we won't go position by position, but uh, but overall defensively, I was kind of struck by uh, the press conferences while it was there. Brad White talking about he wanted to challenge his guys more this year, put them uh, this spring, put them in more uncomfortable positions uh, to see how they would react and how they would get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, what about the defense overall this spring? I, I think I said this a few times going into last year, but I think it's even more it's even more true now. Like they have a bunch of, if you just look at it on paper, you say, Oh, you have seven starters to replace. That's, that's a concern, but they're at a point in the program, especially on defense now where they're plugging and playing with guys who have a played a lot already as backups and B are probably better recruits and more talented than the guys they're replacing. Like, Mark Stoops is never going to come out and say this. Brad White's never going to say this. But I think they believe that Trevor Wallace and Derek Jackson are better players than DeAndre Square and, and Jacquez Jones. Obviously, they don't have their experience. Leadership's a huge question mark on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense with those guys gone right now. But Trevor Wallace and Derek Jackson played so much last year anyway when Jones and Square were hurt. And athletically, talent-wise, they're just probably a bit of an upgrade. Depth's a huge question at that position. But you feel really good up the middle with those two guys at inside linebacker. They think they have three starter-level players at safety with uh, Zion Childress, Jordan Lovett, and Jalen Geiger coming back for an injury. And then they feel really good about the depth on the defensive line, with, you know, obviously starting with Deion Walker, but adding you know Keyshawn Silver, the transfer from North Carolina, uh, Josiah Hayes, Octavius Oxendai, Trevon Ripka, all those guys up front. That's a really good place to start in this league. And then cornerbacks, they lost both their starters, but they brought in two new transfers. And I think at this point, it's just safe to assume that Mark Stoops knows what he's doing with defensive backs, and they'll find two guys who are uh, starter-level players in the SEC when the season starts. Right. No. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question. I think the secondary in the practice that uh, I attended that last open practice, the fan day practice, uh, the substitute for the spring game, uh, I thought the secondary looked good. And uh, obviously the wind kind of affected that day. But the other guy is Childress. He really came on at the end of last year. Uh, It sounds like he's going to play a big role this year. Yeah, they seem. I mean, if you're talking about breakout stars on on defense this spring, I think he's top of the list. Just the way they talked about that guy. I mean, he obviously started to gain confidence down the stretch last year. We talked to him late in spring, and he he just mentioned how much of an adjustment it was coming from Texas State to the SEC. He played a lot in college football already, but it's just a completely different world. And as he got more comfortable, got his own. He mentioned that Georgia game specifically. Is you know he started that game because somebody was hurt, I think, and then he came out played pretty well and afterwards Corey Edmund the strength coach came to him and said you you can play in this league go out and earn your money or whatever and so he's taken that to heart they talk about in meetings I forget what player it was but somebody said that you know even if it's a defensive meeting and Brad White asks a question for the defensive line Zion Childers has the first answer normally he just puts that much work into studying in a group that needs leaders to emerge he's going to be a really really important player I think for them yeah, I, I agree. No doubt about it. Okay, we're going to talk about Will Levis in the NFL draft when I come right back with John Hale of the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. 
Okay, John, back with John Hale of the Herald Leader in Kentucky.com, talking Kentucky football. John just did a package of stories about Will Levis leading into the leading up to Thursday night's NFL draft. Uh, I encourage everybody to check those out, especially the main story where he talks about Levis's development. I know you talk with uh, Liam Cohen extensively about that. Was there anything that surprised you of what Liam's, Liam said or when you're doing the research for this story? I don't think it really surprised me, but it was good to hear it just laid out on the table what we all I think knew going into that first year. Levis was here. There was so much talk that first camp of like, he may not start for us. Maybe it's Joey Gaywood. Maybe it's Bo Allen. It's a real competition. But Liam was just up front and saying like the second Will Levis got on campus, it was clear he was their best quarterback. But they put him with the third team offense going into camp because they wanted him to go out and prove it to his teammates and he, I mean, the quote he gave me was for two week, or for one week, they had two quarterbacks taking reps they had no business taking out there. And what <laughs> eventually let them, right. you know, make the change was the other players came to the coaches and said, like, when are you going to make this move? When are you going to put Will as the as the starter? And they did it, they did it early in camp so Joey Gatewood could transfer. Um, and then, like a week later, they named him a captain. So I think that shows you how they handled that was really important in the locker room early on. Uh, but, you know, when I sat, it's funny, when I sat down with Liam for that story, it was the last day of spring practice, so two weeks ago, it was kind of the height of all of this chatter that was out there that Will was dropping in mock drafts, and there were all these questions about how he was interviewing, and, you know, the the common theme people were, the question people were saying, well, like, how do you draft the quarterback who couldn't beat Sean Clifford in the top 10? Now, two weeks later, as we record this, he's kind of the buzz name again. Right. C.J. Stroud's the quarterback. Everybody is downgrading. Right. But, but that's really the impetus of the story was like, how do you draft the quarterback who couldn't beat Sean Clifford? But we know he's not the same quarterback that he was two years ago when he was competing with Sean Clifford. But Liam Cohen said he talked to coaches at Penn State about that when he was evaluating guys in the portal that year. And the conclusion he made was they just went with the safe option over the more talented option because Sean Clifford knew the offense. He didn't make a ton of mistakes. He was really popular in the locker room. And Liam said, I put it the other way as a coach. Like, you go with the more talented guy, and then you put it on yourself as a coach to maximize his performance. I don't think Will Levis maximized his performance uh, at Kentucky. We know that he still has work to do. Uh, but that, I think, is is kind of a, a telling statement about whatever team's going to draft him. It's somebody who's looking at it and saying, we're willing to take a big swing and hope that you hit the home run. Right. And to me, uh, it's uh, – I mean, people are looking at uh, last year – and obviously, there were other factors involved. He lost Wandale Robinson. His offensive line lost two guys who were drafted the NFL, had problems with the offensive line all year. The, the offense, although another NFL offense under Rich Gangarello was different uh, in, from before. And a point that you made in your story, which I think is very important, is that about they basically took uh, – Scangarello took the running game out of Levis's play. You can debate about why, why he did that, but uh, – but if you go back to the year before when Liam was the offensive coordinator and he had Wondell Robinson, I mean, he was very effective. That's what you know kind of made his name, and he obviously has the traits. Um, as you mentioned that the NFL is looking for those types of traits. As you mentioned, he seemed to drop. Now he's come back up. Why do you think he's come back up? I think most of it's just smoke. I mean, I mean, I, I, I can't really season. <laughs> yeah, I can't really like speak as an expert on what NFL teams are going to do in the draft. 
but every team has a motivation to leak something out at this right. point, whether it's you, if you, maybe you're a team who wants Will Levis in the teens. And so you're trying to influence other guys not to take him. So he falls, or maybe you're a team who's going to take him up top, but you don't want people to know that. So you're gauging if, if somebody will give you a haul for that draft pick in a trade. And so like, there's just all sorts of reason for people to lie out there, which I think is most of it. Right. But now also, as we get closer to the draft, probably these draft people who are actually getting intel not just filling out fantasy football mock drafts um are getting more information like i've i've heard that he had another meeting with the the colts that maybe he went out and played golf with the uh with the new head coach there last week so i think that that tie has clearly been established in national reports now other teams may be interested in trading up uh obviously the it's not the wonder now but the s2 or whatever it is score for cj stroud seems to be a red flag for some people I think it's. It seems like just from the outside, not knowing you know what NFL teams are going to do. The question is, there are four quarterbacks here. People are talking about the top of the draft. All of them have big questions from for one reason or another. If you're a team that needs a quarterback, are you desperate enough to try it this year, or do you want to fill some other holes and hope next year's class is better? And right. so that's kind of where we're at now. It's less of a question of who goes early as to how many teams want a quarterback. Right. Just like, uh, you know, there's some buzz, even buzz about Will going number two to the Texans. But there's also a lot of talk that the Texans, they also have a pick at 12. Do they really need to take a quarterback at two if they feel like there's a player out there? I mean, how much of that, I I mean, uh, this is not a question for you, but you have to ask how much of that is Houston's just floating that out there that they might be interested in Levis so that another team would try to trade with them uh, you know, to get because they're a team obviously in rebuild mode. They got a new coach. They got, I think, a second year uh, general manager. Uh, you know, it's stuff like that. You just don't know. Uh, you know what what's going on behind the scenes. Do you, who do you think would be a good fit? I mean, do you think not necessarily a team, but it, do you think it would be a good good for Will to go someplace that already has a quarterback so he can sit for a year or two and develop, or uh, rather than go to a rebuilding team where he not be may not be playing behind the best offensive line, or do you think he's ready to go in and play for a team and start right away? I think. Uh, my guess is like if it's not just a miserable situation where you don't have any help out there at all, I'd just throw him out and hope yeah. he learns. I mean, have a veteran backup who can you know help if you need to. If he if he struggles a little bit, maybe take some pressure off of him. But at this point, you're paying those quarterbacks so much money at the top of the draft. You might as well let him earn on the job. And, he, and he's old for a quarterback too. I mean, he's not that young, so right. I think that's one of his main selling points. Is he's learned all these different offenses from four different offensive coordinators in four years or whatever it is, uh, he can come in and, and figure that out, especially if he goes to a, a, a team that runs a similar system from this Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, which is obviously something that he's familiar with the last two years. Right, right. Yeah, I would think, you know, I don't think it's going to happen because they're too far back in the draft, but a team like Minnesota, whose mm-hmm. head coach worked with Liam at uh, with the Rams, uh, they have Kirk Cousins, who is either in the final year or the final couple of years of his contract. Will could go in and maybe learn from him and sit for a little bit. But uh, I think he could be ready. I, but then on the other end, it could be a Josh Allen type who he keeps getting compared to. Somebody that you just throw in there. You know it's going to be a little rough at first, but the more experience he gets, the better he gets. Uh, so do you think it's – if you had to guess, and we're recording this on Wednesday – or excuse me, Tuesday morning – what do you think? Uh, do you think Indianapolis is the safe pick at number four? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I think so. It, it's interesting. I, I, there are Vegas odds out there, that, and he is the betting favorite at number two and number four right now. Really? And I don't know if those are actually even tied to like specific teams as much as like maybe even acknowledging somebody might trade for that number two pick. Right. Um, I would, I think it's the safe bet now as he goes in the top five, whereas a week or two ago, it looked like real scenarios that he might drop out of the top 10. But I, I don't think that seems you know plausible at this point. No, I don't either. I think if even even if it looks like he might drop a little bit, I think one of those other teams, maybe even a Tennessee or a Minnesota or somebody like that, might try to trade up to get him. Uh, what about the other uh, Kentucky players in in this draft? Chris Rodriguez at running back. I think possibility Carrington Valentine getting drafted. What what are you hearing or what do you know about those two guys? Yeah, or anybody I mean, else? Any other cats who might have a possibility of being drafted? I don't know how much stock we can put in these few seven round mock drafts that are out there and the people who take on that chore for a few hours but it seems like chris rodriguez and karen valentine are the two other guys that are projected to go sometime on day three rodriguez is interesting to me because he ran a pretty good 40 time at pro day much faster than i think we anticipated certainly faster than what benny we saw benny snow run at the combine uh out of his draft class year does that move the needle at all? How much is the fumbling thing still a concern? He didn't fumble a ton as a senior, but I think he did fumble once in the senior bowl, and obviously it was a, an issue for most of his career at Kentucky. I also don't know how much stock we can put into anything Rich Scangarello said last year about the NFL because he kept talking about how they had five NFL tight ends on their roster, but he said a couple times that he thought Chris Rodriguez was going to have a long NFL career. Um, so maybe he's a guy that, that surprises and goes a little earlier than we thought, uh, but it feels like he's going to get picked. And then Carrington Valentine, um, I don't think he's really done many interviews since he left other than uh, the day he was available at the combine. And I wasn't there that day, but it seems like he's put in a lot of work on his body since then. Uh, he only ran the 40 once on pro day because he was happy with his time. He didn't come out and run it again. Um, so maybe he's a day three pick, maybe a guy like Kedron Smith, uh, sneaks into there. Seemed like he had a, a decent pro day showing after not getting invited to the combine. He was uh, impressive at one of those all-star games and got a, a late senior bowl invite. Uh, I know Tayshawn Manning got invited to the combine. I have a hard time seeing somebody drafting him, but uh, maybe the offensive line struggles were not his fault last year. I don't know, but it seems like they will have five or six guys in, in, in you know camps. I would be surprised if they have more than three picks this weekend, though. Yeah, I, I would too. I saw somebody had a thing out, had uh, Chris Rodriguez listed as the number five running back, but I haven't seen anything else that had him listed that high. And for Valentine, it seemed like he did kind of come on uh, late in the process. I think he did visit the Bengals <clears throat> and talk to them, but uh, you know uh, that you know proximity, I'm sure, had something to do with that as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't think we're going to see quite as many as we've seen in some of the years uh, Mark Stoops taken. I mean, I think it's plausible that neither one of those guys, they might slip through and not get drafted at all and end up being free agents. And it would only be um, uh, Levis that's drafted, but we'll see uh, how that that plays out. Um, John, before I let you go, anything you want to plug or anything? uh, We talked about the Levis series that that you ran with the draft. Anything else we should be looking for? Yeah, we'll have one more draft story, I think, before Thursday, just about the history of Kentucky quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, My favorite, maybe, Kentucky football stat right now is the only Kentucky football player to throw a touchdown in the NFL since Tim Couch retired is punter Tim Mastay. 
So, um, yeah. So can, uh, can, can Will Levis in that drought? I mean, for, I mean, for what the late nineties, early two thousands, they had a really good run of college quarterbacks with couch and dusty Moner and Jerry Lorenzen and Andre Woodson. And none of those guys panned out in the NFL. So can, can Will Levis do it? And if he does, what does that do for Kentucky's quarterback recruiting, which has been such an issue for them? Liam already said, you know, without Will Levis doing what he did, we don't get Devin Leary. So is the next step now that you can turn this into high school quarterback recruiting, especially with, um, you know, Cutter Bowley here in town, a five-star guy in some places in the 25 class, maybe reclassifying to 24. That part of it, I think, is big for the program. So be sure and look for that. Uh, John, remind the listeners how they can follow you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J-O-N-H-A-L-E underscore H-L. Be sure and follow John on Twitter. Be sure and check out all of his stories on Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Arrow Leader. Thanks, John, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks, as always, to friend of the pod, John Hale. Follow him on Twitter at JohnHaleHL. Be sure and check out all his work on Kentucky.com. And in the print edition of the Herald Leader, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Check out my work on Kentucky.com and my sidelines blog as well. Thanks again to John. Be sure and look for his coverage. We'll have plenty of coverage on the NFL Draft, which is Thursday night, and he'll have plenty of coverage during the offseason as Kentucky heads into the 2023 season this fall. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.